Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. But tonight, we are looking at Luke chapter 3, going to verse 17. We're looking actually at verse 16 for context. And we are looking here and we are seeing John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water. Hallelujah. But one cometh mightier than I who shoe latch it. I am not worthy to unloose. And the Bible says, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says, and with fire. Not just with the Holy Ghost, but the Bible says, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now look at the second portion of the verse, which is extremely important, and this is what we want to see tonight. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Say this with me. That's threshing floor language. Hallelujah. He will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn in fire unquenchable. So tonight we're going to speak to you about the process of threshing and the spiritual significance of threshing and baptism in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Because John the Baptist is likening this experience of the threshing with baptism baptism of the Holy Ghost. So it's a baptism of fire. So what kind of fire is the question? It's not just only fire to ignite us to go forward to do the will of God, but there is a purifying fire. There is a cleansing fire. And so therefore we are actually going to see tonight that one of the principal, um, one of the powerful principles of baptism in the spirit is that the person that is baptized in the spirit is going to present their life as an offering to God. And that's the power the Holy Spirit gives you. When you become baptized in the spirit, it's not only just to speak in tongues and to be used and drenched in the supernatural. But I want you to understand it's more than that. And we're going to see that tonight because throughout the scripture, we see the connecting component between baptism in the Holy Spirit and the threshing floor, because the threshing floor represents the offering of first fruits, because in ancient Israel, the feast of Pentecost was the feast of first fruits. It was the time when Israel brought the first fruits of the wheat offering to God. So specifically, the first fruits and the wheat offering, which also is going to go through the threshing floor, has to do with the Holy Ghost. So therefore, John the Baptist is going to liken the experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit with the threshing floor experience. And we are also going to see 
in Joel. Let's go to Joel chapter 2, verse 24, just for a scriptural reference so that we are fully um, scripturally equipped here. The Bible tells us in Joel chapter 2, verse 24, the identifying tool of when the outpouring of the Spirit will take place, when your sons and daughters are going to prophesy, that there is an identifying tool that is given. And that identifying tool is going to tell us the time when it's going to be that your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy, your old men are going to see visions, and your young men are going to dream dreams. The Bible says, and the floors will be full of wheat. The floors meaning the threshing floor. Hello, somebody. I said the threshing floors shall be filled with wheat, and the vats shall overflow with the wine and the oil. So, beloved saints, um, I want us now, if you will, to open Open your Bibles tonight, and we are going to see in Numbers chapter 15, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 19, we are going to see the first fruits offering and what it is like. And it looks like a boring piece of Hebrew history that actually has no spiritual relevance to us in 2022. But I want you to know that there is nothing in the Bible. There is not one thing in the Bible that is not personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. There is nothing in the Bible that's dead history, and there's nothing in the Bible that we can just look at and say, wow, that's just a scripture. That's just how they did it then. But I want you to understand that if it's written in the word, then there is teaching involved for our life right now. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we are looking at Numbers chapter 15. We're looking at verses 19 and 20. Let us look. The Bible says, it shall be when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall offer up a heave offering unto the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your meal, meaning the first fruits. Of the first of your meal, a heave offering, notice, of the threshing floor. Why does the Bible have to tell us that the heave offering has to be from the threshing floor? That is something that is spiritually significant, and that's why it's mentioned. You shall offer up a heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall you heave it. Now, beloved saints, I want you to see verse 21 says, the first of your dough you shall give unto the Lord as a heave offering in your generations. All right, so let's look at this and see the spiritual significance. First of all, if we go back to verse 19, the Bible is telling us you offer up the, the, um, the bread, and I want you to see verse 21, it says in verse 21, there is an emphasis on the dough. I want you to understand that the dough actually is translated from English to its meaning in Hebrew as a grain, as cereal grain. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that God just wants cereal grain? No, it actually reads in Hebrew coarse grain. And there's a reason why coarse grain has to be offered because God isn't so much interested in the bread as he is in the way that the bread is made. That's where the offering comes in. 
You see, it's the way the bread was made. That is the presentation that is given unto God. So it's how it's presented to God. It's not just what's being presented, but it's how it's being presented. Say this with me. It's not just what's being presented. It's how it's being presented. And how it's being presented is when it says coarse grain, it means that it's grain that comes from the threshing floor. This is why the threshing floor was mentioned, that you have to take that grain from the threshing floor. So the question arises, what happens in the threshing floor? First of all, the threshing floor is a process of separation. Can you say this with me? The threshing floor is a place of separation. Okay, so what happens is the grain is harvested. It's laid out on the floor. It's a flat surface and it has to be dried out. The second step to the threshing in the threshing floor is that an animal with hooks must come in and circle for, for hours and hours crushing the grain. And the grain would then have, the animal would have a threshing instrument attached to it, a piece of block wood with teeth underneath it from iron or from, from um, lead or something of that nature. And so the threshing would take place. What is going to be done? In the fruit of the wheat, it's covered with chaff. And then the stem has to be separated, and that becomes hay, doesn't it? All right, so we are seeing that it's a, it's a process of separating the stem and crushing the portion of the, of the grain so that the chaff becomes loosened. So that then the next step would be, after it's separated from the stalk, then you have just the heads of the grain, but you see the chaff around the grain has already been loosened. So then it is put into a winnowing fan. A winnowing fan is like a little bucket, like a basket, and it would be thrown up in the air. And when the wind would blow, the chaff would come off. Do you all understand that? Then that which would be left would be the fruit. The process of making that bread is the whole purpose of the offering. It has to come first, but you see, the process of that bread, the way that it is made, is actually the offering itself. So that when we see that the believer is baptized in the Holy Ghost, the believer is also going to go through a threshing process. That the believer is going to go through a separation process. Hello, somebody. I'm going somewhere with this. We are going to go through a separation and a purification, even a crushing. Hallelujah. And so let us look exactly as to what the text is actually meaning here. We saw, dear people of God, that this heave offering is the process of making the heave offering is told to us in Numbers 15. But if we go to Numbers 18, we're going to see the spiritual significance of this heave offering and how the heave offering is connected to the anointing. Hello, are you hearing me? It was a special an offering given to the priests because of the anointing. 
So we see that the heave offering is actually a prophetic parallel of a life that's going to be consecrated for the anointing. And here we see in Numbers chapter 18, looking at verse 8, the Bible says, in verse 8, and the Lord spoke to Aaron and said, Behold, I have given you the charge of my heave offerings of the hallowed things of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee and to thy sons by reason of the anointing. So we are seeing that the heave offering, the threshing process, and the way it is presented actually leads us to the anointing. I'm going somewhere with this. So that we understand that a life that is given to the anointing is going to go through a very similar process of how the the actual heave offering is presented to God. So let us look at some of the power principles before we get deeper into the word to understand this process because John the Baptist, when he said baptism in the Holy Ghost, he said he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. The wheat he will gather into the garner, but the chaff he's going to burn with fire fire unquenchable. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So to understand what John the Baptist meant, we have to understand this process. How many of you want to understand this process? Amen. So we see, and we've established that the specific offering where the first fruits of the dough is offered to God, and the dough is not about just making dough and making bread. It's about the way it's made, it's called, as we said a moment ago, it is an offering, hallelujah, of, of grain. And it's an offering, dear people of God, as we saw a moment ago, of coarse meal. That means that it came right from the wheat from the threshing floor. Coarse meal, say it with me, wheat from the threshing floor. Say this with me, so it's not the bread God's interested in. It's the way it's prepared. Hello? Are you with me? All right. So, the, and the fact that it's first fruits unto God. All right, so we're looking at Numbers chapter 18, verse 8, and we see that it's given for the anointing. Now let us see some of the power principles of the anointing. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, and all of the best of the wine, the best of the oil, and of the wheat and of the first fruits of them shall you offer to the Lord, for I have given them to you. So the first fruits offering is made into a heave offering. But notice here the concept is bring the best. Set with me the concept is bring the best. All right, I'm going to tell you what that means. All right, I can remember in... 1975, before Catherine, she went home to be with the Lord in 76. But in 1974 and in 1975, Miss Coleman did a lot of repeating of her message. And the message was continually, it seemed like every time she would be seen, it would be the same message because she was getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. She was imparting to the generation. And she constantly, I can remember just seeing that little skinny body with her arms wrapped around like this. And she'd say, the Holy Spirit will not take second place. He'll not take second place. 
over and over and over again. If we want the anointing, the Holy Spirit will not take second place. And she would say, not some of self and some of thee, but none of self and all of thee. She'd say it over and over and over again. Are you with me, saints? Are you following me? So this means, and I want you to see, this means that what we are seeing here, bring the best, that means we don't withhold anything from God. This means that we have to offer God the best of our praise, the best of our work, the best of our strength, the best of our talent, that when we're doing something under the anointing, we don't do it slipshod. We don't do it haphazard. We do everything as unto the Lord the best because he's worthy of the best. And the power of the spirit is given to us so that we can bring the best. He's been given to us to offer ourselves as an offering to God. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Say this with me. Baptism in the Holy Ghost has empowered me to offer my life to God as an offering. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right. So bring the best. Now watch this. Go to verse 27. The Bible says in verse 27, and this, your heave offering, shall be reckoned unto you as though it were the corn of the threshing floor. It'll be reckoned unto you as though it were the corn of the threshing floor and the fullness of the winepress. So what is the Bible saying? God is saying that when you offer the heave offering unto God, it is as if you are offering the fullness of the threshing floor. So what does that mean? That means that the process of threshing is what God is looking at. Are you with me, saints? Hallelujah. In order for us to understand that a little more detailed, all right, we, kind, we got the basics on it. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got the basics on it. Okay. And we have to understand that what God is interested in in the heave offering is that the offering is presented to God in meal form because why? God is, is looking at the threshing process. So that we might understand what this really means to us in a personal, powerful, prophetic manner. I want you, if you will, to go with me to 1 Corinthians. And we are going to look, beloved saints, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 so we can understand this a little more. Because remember, we're looking at, the grain, at a piece of grain. We're looking at a stalk of grain. You have on the stalk, you have hay, correct? And then you have chaff and you have the wheat, right? All right. So we already know about the separation from the wheat from the chaff. That's the casing around the wheat itself and how it is separated is when the wind blows it, it gets crushed, it gets loosened. And when the wind blows it, it just blows right off. Okay, you throw it up with the winnowing fan and the wind blows it off. So we're not going to pay attention tonight to the chaff. We know about that. But what we're going to look at tonight is the straw. 
Hello, I said the straw. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we are going to go to verse 12. And Paul is going to tell us about the straw. All right, this is what he says. Now, I'm going to take this, we're taking this out of context. Paul is talking about the day that we stand before Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. The Bible says to try, and the fire shall try it, every man's work, to see what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which is built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Now watch this. But if any man's work be burnt, he himself shall suffer loss, yet as so by fire. What is this all about? This is all about the judgment of the saints. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 so you can understand the saints will not be judged with the world. Can you tell your neighbor the saints will not be judged with the world? Okay, when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to ask you, are you saved or not? That's the world. Okay, the world is going to be judged by what they did with Christ and what they did with the salvation message. Are you with me? But the saints have a completely different judgment. We're not going to be judged with the world. We are going to be judged by our works. That's what's going to be judged. That's why we need to read the book of Revelation, and we need to read the seven letters to the seven churches because they all start the same. I know your works to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Smyrna. I know your works and to the church at Pergamos. I know your works and to the church at Thyatira. I know your works and to the church at Sardis. I know your works and to the church at Philadelphia. I know your works and to the church at Laodicea. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. All right. When he talks about the works, I know your works, he will describe them. And to the church at Sardis, he says, I haven't found your works perfect before God. To the church at Ephesus, he said, repent and do your first works over again. Hello, I hope somebody's hearing this. That what we're going to be judged when we stand before God is what did we do with the ministry he entrusted to us? Are you with me? It's not going to be, are you born again or not? That's the way the world is going to be judged. We are going to be judged by the intentions of our heart. We are going to be judged by the sincerity, the faithfulness, the truth, the, the love by which we did the work of God, the faithfulness by which we did the work of God. You said we're going to be judged by faithfulness. Oh, yes, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? I know your works, he said to Laodicea. You're not hot and you're not cold. But you're lukewarm. It has to do with the works. You did your works shoddily. You did your works not on fire for me. 
I worked that you were on fire or that you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, somebody ought to say, I don't want to be in that condition, child. I don't want to stand before Jesus and him to say, I shed my blood. I gave you the baptism in the Holy Ghost for you to be lukewarm. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? My, my. All right. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, because we can't understand 1 Corinthians 3 until we understand this. 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 31 says, if we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged. What does that mean? Hmm, look at the next verse. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So if you're going through something and you're going through a little chastisement, it's only because the Lord's saying, I'm sparing you from being judged with the world. Hello, somebody. I'm pulling you out of the fire so you will not be judged with the world. Are you, are you hearing this? Yes. We're going to be judged with the saints. And that means we're going to be saved no matter what we do, because we are born again. And that will never be taken from us unless we're totally vaccinated, but we're not going to do that because we got the baptism in the Holy Ghost to keep us. Hello, somebody. He, he's the keeping power of God, so we don't need to worry about backsliding, right? Because he's the keeper. He's the divine keeper. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you spotless before his throne with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. But we've got this issue of works and we've got this issue of being able to judge ourselves. What does that mean? If we judge ourselves, we're not going to be judged to God. It means, well, when I... No, I missed it. Has anybody here ever missed it? That's just a way to say it. We missed it because sin means missing the mark. So it doesn't mean we're under this heavy condemnation. It just means we missed it. And we missed it. We missed God's perfect target, what he really wanted and what we did. So we missed it. And so when we miss it, if we judge ourselves, not condemn ourselves, we got to say, you know what? I was a little bit haughty there, and I need to get myself together. Or that thing that came out of my mouth was not so Christian. I said that very haughty, or I said that unkind. Or maybe we didn't say anything, but we sure thought it. And the Holy Ghost was saying the whole time we were thinking it, ah, 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 hold, your, hold those thoughts. Just stop right there. And so therefore, we've done that, and we know that it wasn't pleasing to God. And so we just offer it and say, God, I'm judging myself, and I'm asking you to just cover it with the blood 
two seconds, it's over. Okay, we don't want this thing to drag out. How many of you don't want this thing to drag out weeks and weeks and months and months till then the Holy Ghost has to deal with us? Say this with me. I don't want to go through those kinds of dealings. I'd rather him dealing, deal with me on other things. See, we don't, want, we don't need him to deal with us on sin or th ways that we miss the mark. It's so much better for him to deal with us on spiritual matters, asking us things that he wants us to do and deal with our heart and show us what he wants out of our lives and deal with us to go up to another level and deal with us to go into deeper depths and higher places. The dealings of the spirit Spirit of God. Hello, somebody. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So we have two judgments. Do you see that? That's why I'm sharing this with you. To, to show you the judgment of the saints is not the judgment with the world. Our judgment is our works. Our judgment is our ministry. Our judgment is what he gave us to do and what we did with the baptism in the Holy Ghost and how we carried out our ministries, faithful or not faithful. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay. Now, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 so that we can understand this thing. If any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, for the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, of what sort it is. So we need to understand, if any man's work abide, that which he is built thereon, hallelujah, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. See, he never revoked salvation from us. Hallelujah. But as by fire, in other words, we, we, it was a close call. Hello, somebody. It was a close call, but we made it in by grace because God is faithful. And so we're bought with a price. And so nothing's going to rob us of our salvation unless we backslide. He that perseveres to the end shall be saved. And even though, you know, this eternal security we must understand, doesn't mean that we sin against the grace of God. No matter what we do, we still get into heaven. But there is a sense of eternal security in the sense that he will keep us if we're willing to let the Holy Ghost deal with us. Are you with me? It's he's the keeper, not us. But we can lose it. That's why the Bible says, hold fast to that which you've been given. Let no man steal your crown. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay, so what is this thing of, going back up to verse 12, what is this thing of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble? Okay, the fire is going to try every man's work. And what happens when it's gold? Ooh, when it goes through the fire? 
Let me explain the gold process. In the Bible, there's two types of gold. There's solid gold and there's pure gold. Solid gold looks like the more expensive gold because it's a thick bar. It weighs more. And so a person would think, wow, that's the more expensive gold. It's a big chunk of gold. It weighs more. But basically, it's got a lot of ore in it. So when solid gold is put in the fire, it becomes more valuable because the dross is melted down. And when it comes out, it's pure gold, not solid gold. And it's of much more value. It's lighter, but it's pure. It's not contaminated with any of the ore. So when we go through the fire and our works are perfect before God, then what happens is the Holy Ghost purifies that and he makes everything even more valuable. It shows us that the fire we go through makes our works more valuable. Say this with me. When I'm serving God and going through testing, my works become more valuable. Hello, I said when we're going through the fire, we're going through testing, and we're serving God faithfully, then God takes the solid gold and makes it pure gold. We come forth out of that fiery furnace as pure gold. Hello, isn't that glorious? Okay. Then the silver, the silver is always likened unto the iron, the oven there. The Bible says, I have refined you, but not as silver, for I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. So offering to God in our afflictions, but still serving God, not saying, I'm not going to do this, but being faithful unto the Lord and offering that to the Lord, just going about it. The anointing breaks the yoke. I remember, can I, can I use you as an example, beautiful Ethel? When we went to Louisiana, oh my goodness. I thought for sure Sister Ethel was going to stay back. I wasn't even thinking of it. And when I said to Apostle D, we were, we're on our way to Monroe, and we were preaching in Monroe. Were you with us, Gloria? Gloria was there too. It was a beautiful, mighty work of God there in Louisiana. And I thought, well, I knew that the graves were going to go, but I doubt if they're going to go now because Sister Ethel had the shingles. And there's no human way she was going to be able to make it. And um, I said to Apostle D, so... Um, so we, we've only got this many people going. She said, no, the grays are going. I said, what? She said, yes. She said, Ethel's pressing her way. I said, praise God. Hallelujah. Now I want to tell you something that added to the anointing. That kind of dedication adds to the anointing. Let me tell you why. Can I give you a little secret how that happens? Okay. In 1995, that wasn't so long ago, a woman by the name of Ruth Fisher and her sister, uh, Joy, uh, used to be, <laughs> Ruth Fisher, you can see her on any of the Catherine Kuhlman videos, interviewing the sick. 
She's on the Jerusalem three, one, uh, Jerusalem two. She's always there at the Shrine Auditorium interviewing. And her sister, actually her sister, we used to call her Joy, but her, her real name is Marion Marsh. And she was a secretary to Miss Coleman. She wrote most of Miss Coleman's books, books out. She was a little, little genius. They were two sisters. They lived in Pitts, they lived outside of Pittsburgh, three hours outside of Pittsburgh. They lived in what was called Beaver Falls, um, Pit, uh, Pennsylvania. And they started to tell us, we started to pick their brain, okay? They came to minister for us after Catherine was gone. And a lot of Catherine's staff used to come when they were still with us and come and minister to our ministry and just have services with them because she's in heaven, but they're carrying the anointing. And so um, after the services, we used to take them out and pick their brains. We wanted to know everything. What was it like? You know, how was it to sit across from Catherine Kuhlman? Oh, what was her personality like? Oh, my goodness. We wanted to know every detail. But you know what they told us? They told us also about themselves. How they would get up at three in the morning to catch the train in the snow to go work at the Carlton Hotel in Pittsburgh. Would take them three hours to get to work on the train, and they'd have to go through the snow to get onto the train to take the train to Pittsburgh. And they said many times, Miss Coleman had a little oven in that huge, she had the whole second floor of the Carlton, not Ritz Carlton, it's called the Carlton Hotel in Pittsburgh. It's gone now. When we went to Pittsburgh, we were able to stay in the spot right where the Carlton Hotel was. And I said, wow, we're right near the Carlton. Wow, this is glorious. We're in the place Miss Coleman's offices were. They told us about they'd be so cold. They had an oven and they used to put the blanket in just for a few minutes and pull it out to keep them warm. And they said sometimes the work was very intense, so they'd spend the night so they wouldn't have to go back. They'd just spend the night near Pittsburgh and just stay there. Ms. Coleman never allowed a huge staff. She kept a very small staff. She wanted it small. And the more they told me about what they did, the more we realized the anointing to the level it was in that ministry was not just Catherine Coleman. The anointing to the way that it was raised to such a level, um, you know, it, it's so amazing because you can watch any of those videos like the Maybe Center with, with Oral Roberts and some of those miracle services and the astronomical miracles that took place in those meetings. But it was the staff as well as Catherine Kuhlman. Do you see? Okay. So we're offering to God gold, silver, precious stones. That speaks for itself. Wood, which takes a little bit longer to burn, but then it becomes nothing. Hay, 
which is gone in a second when fire hits it. And stubble, gone. So the fire consumes the stubble, the fire consumes the hay, and the fire eventually consumes the wood. But when the fire touches the gold, it becomes more precious and more valuable. When it touches the silver, it becomes more refined. When it uh, touches the gem, it becomes more valuable. Are you hearing this? This is our judgment as saints. And so now, what about this thing of the hay? Okay, we already know about the separation of the wheat from the chaff. But what about the hay? I want you to understand the only way we're going to ever understand hay is when we look at the book of Exodus. And we see that Pharaoh actually, the children of Israel had to make bricks with hay. Do you remember that? They had to make it with straw. And one of the reasons why they made it with straw is that in the ancient world, when straw was collected, it would be grounded up and it would become like meal. You'd put it inside the clay of a brick and it made the brick be able to hold together. If there was no straw ground into the meal, when you made the brick, it would fall apart. So the building didn't have the substance to stand together without the straw. So whenever the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, they were handed the straw already collected so that all they had to do was ground it up and put it with the bricks and make the bricks. But before they left Egypt, Pharaoh put a restriction on them and said, you have to go and gather your straw. And so therefore, if you look at gathering their straw, they're going into the field where the wheat is, not to harvest wheat, but to harvest straw. I'm going somewhere with this. I said they went into the field not to harvest wheat, but to harvest straw. And God is saying that there are some believers that are in the field, not gathering the wheat to go through the threshing process, but gathering straw. Straw is that which is labor that's going to produce no profit. Things that are going to have nothing to do with the things of God. Are you with me? Some of us are spending our energy, we're spending our time, and we're trying to reap, and we're in a field, and God has ordained us to go in that field and gather the wheat, but rather, there is a gathering of straw. That means that we're in bondage to something, because the slave is the one that is gathering the straw. Are you with me? And tonight, God wants us to relinquish every, everything that is not of him and not to be gathering the straw. But there, the straw, what is it? The straw is the amb doing something for ambition. The straw is when our motives aren't right. The straw is when we're serving God just for reward. Or we're serving God for some ulterior motive. Or we're serving God to be seen of men. 
Are you with me? Or our intentions are not right. Or we are not pure in heart. And we're out there working and working and working. But we're actually gathering straw and we're not gathering the wheat. And tonight God wants us to no more gather straw. Because we've been delivered from the world. We've been delivered from Egypt. We've been delivered from every taskmaster. Hallelujah. And tonight we want to give God our best. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, you are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.